Disrupting the flow of money into coal, gas and oil is critical to limiting the impacts of climate change. Your bank could be investing billions of dollars into the fossil fuel industry. Bank Australia is an ethical bank that doesn't fund harmful industries. Join us and over 180,000 Australians who have made the switch. Search Bank Australia Solutions. My name is Kate Ashmore and I'm a proud Jar Jar Wurrung person. Today's episode of The Cool Down was recorded on the Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation. Together with Footy for Climate, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia. Footy comes from Mangrook, a First Nations game that has been played on these lands, which have been protected and nurtured by Australia's first people for tens of thousands of years. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging for their continued connection to the land, water and culture, and look to their guidance and knowledge as we work towards a more sustainable future. We acknowledge the sovereignty was never ceded. This was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. The Cooldown is brought to you by Bank Australia. Jasper and Izzy, welcome back to The Cooldown. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> hey, it's it's the final episode. We've uh, we've done the whole season. It's the wrap-up. We're going to look back at some of the, the best moments. But how are you guys going? Izzy, you're, you're back training. Yeah, no, pretty good. Can't complain. Bodies are getting there slowly. Um, got 1.6k time trial tomorrow, so Ooh. that should be a, a goodie. Time but, to beat. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done any as I try and avoid that thing usually, but um, who knows? So, yeah. 1.6k, that's a new one. Yeah. That's yeah. Been new. A new um, time trial. Got some science behind it, apparently. Something to do with. Any intel on what that science is? No, nah, not sure. <laughs> <laughs> the girls are pretty stoked. <laughs> yeah, an extra, less 400 metres, that's yeah. massive. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a time trialer. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm always, like, if I can not come last, it's a big win. So, um, yeah, no, that's great. Jasper, what's going on? Well, we've actually had a great day. Um, we were down at Richmond Footy Club doing a, an industry roundtable event, which is the first of its kind in AFL anyway, which was awesome. So, sort of... We co-led up with uh, with the the team at Richmond, um, but basically bringing um, you know the the invite was out to all the clubs, obviously, and all the clubs from interstate could could make the flight over. But basically, getting everyone in a room, talking about you know sustainability and, and within our industry, how we can um, work together as as a as a code and and you know clubs and information share and bring each other up to speed and see you know what the opportunities are moving forward. So really exciting to. Get that up and running. Um, yeah, I think there's real commitment from the AFL and our clubs and I'm excited to see where that leads. Yeah, it's really cool to see the work that the Tigers are doing. Um, you know, they released an, an environmental sustainability action plan last year and that was that was amazing. But really cool today to see them sort of wanting to create a culture of collaboration and not competition so much in this space. And I think that's super exciting. And I think, you know, there's a lot happening within footy and this sort of environmental sustainability movement. Um, I think our show has sort of demonstrated some of that movement. Um, and, you know, players have really been at the forefront of it, Izzy. Um, you know, we have, you know, obviously been doing this work with Footy for Climate for a little while now and we've got, you know, lots of involvement from our players. Um, you know, obviously with the cool down, it's um, all about bringing players together with climate experts. You know, what are some of the things you've taken from the players this season? Yeah, no, it's been awesome to get them on. Um, yeah, I feel like there's so many different perspectives as well from players and sort of backstories that you wouldn't have otherwise known about um, their own personal connection to climate and sustainability, whether it's, you know, Mitch Lewis having experienced bushfires himself or, um, yeah, just, you know, Nick Barr and her general drive um, 
with all of the sustainability work she does, I think, yeah, everyone's sort of got a different perspective and a, a different reason as to why they're engaged and involved in it. And, yeah, it was cool and really cool to see them club with the the experts, the yeah, kicking experts with the climate experts. Um, but, yeah, I feel like there was good chemistry with each of the pairings, which was nice. Um, yeah, Phil Davis and Beck Huntley got along very well um, the fir- on the first one, two funny characters. So, yeah, it was nice to have that sort of mix. Yeah, it's just so fascinating for me to just sort of hear from the players their reasons why they care and why they get involved. And, you know, I think, you know, back to the conversation with Phil, like he was actually really brave to get on the show because, you know, he's not coming from a place of, you know, uh, a deep understanding or really having done a whole lot of work in the climate action space. But he understands it's an important issue and he's prepared to have the conversation. So I thought that was really awesome. And then, yeah, I even think of Nick Barr's chat around how, you know, she was living in seven different countries before she was 14. And, you know, connection to the environment and, and the natural world was sort of her way to connect in with, you know, these different countries that she was moving to and meet new people and, um, you know, get to know these places. So, yeah, it was, you know, for me, really fascinating and a real privilege to be able to lead those conversations and connect those players with those experts. Um, yeah, so Jasper, you know, you were actually the one that got most of these experts on the show. You did most of the legwork. Um, you know, how was it for you to actually reach out to these experts and try and get them on our show? Um, oh, I mean, it's that's probably one of the easiest parts. I mean, we're so lucky to have these experts willing to give their time, really. I mean, we've, we've spent a bit of time with some of these individuals in the past as well, and I sort of thought, oh, we've already asked them to do this and that, you know, a couple of months ago, a few years ago, and they were just more than happy to get back on board. And, yeah, we had to be flexible around some schedules, particularly for, you know, someone like Senator Dave Pocock, who's a busy man, but, you know, he was still willing to find a little podcast space at um, Parliament House that he could record from and be on Zoom. So, um, you know, really grateful and feel privileged that we were to get such um, wonderful guests involved and, and, yeah, pair them with the players. And I think just reiterating what you said before about some of the players who decided this might have been their one, their kind of in into the sort of climate conversation. And Phil was obviously one. I think Carl Amon was another. When I reached out to him as a, as a former teammate and friend, he, he said, look, I don't know it too much, but I'm really interested and intrigued to sort of be involved. So I think it shows a lot of bravery, as you said, um, to want to be part of it. And um, yeah, it's okay to not know everything, but I think those players and, and experts walked away knowing a bit more about what it's like on both sides, someone who does know a lot about these issues and players who are really just starting their journey. So um, yeah, I, I mean, Hopefully season two, we can start exploring some more of the niche and more wild aspects of kind of climate conversations and really go after some other interesting characters. Niche and wild for season two. I really like it. Um, yeah, and, 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 you know, I think we've just scratched the surface and there's so much more that we can continue on with this conversation that we've started on the cool down. But there's so much that we've actually covered in the first season. I'm really proud of what we put together. I was um, listening back to our first conversation all the way back in episode one and, you know, we actually hadn't designed out the whole conversation or the, the journey for the season yet. So to actually have pulled off something that I think is over, you know, I will say, like I think is really high quality. The conversations are really awesome. We've got some fantastic guests. Um, you know, I think this is a really cool opportunity to listen back on some of the best moments and reflect on, you know, the conversation we've had so far and, and maybe at the end we can sort of take a bit of a look at what we might want to do in the future. So, you know, I think I might just, you know, pass around uh, the opportunity to everyone to come up with a few of their favourite moments. Um, 
Izzy, what was uh, just one of your favourite moments of the season? Yeah, good. Um, get the first pick in the, the fantasy draft. First pick in the draft, <laughs> clips. Yep. Um, oh, you, you were a pick one yourself. <laughs> yeah, only natural, hey? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I reckon it was <laughs> bloody hard to pick, but, um, yeah, just speaking before about that um, first episode that Re- Rebecca and Phil did together and that vulnerability that was shown. Um, but, yeah, I guess that sort of topic of the, the athletes um, really putting themselves out there to speak about issues and um, usually copying it and getting told to stick to sport, shut up and dribble sort of stuff. Um, I think that was a really good vulnerable discussion um, and something that, yeah, probably resonated with a lot of players, fans, you know, people in general. Cool. Let's have a listen. I think one of the big things I've always tried to be is curious and I think that's probably why I'm here is the fact that um, I don't know enough. I'm willing to learn more but also I think that you know, it's an interesting thing, football. Like when when you're playing, people are interested in you, and I and I and it's just part and parcel. Like as I said, when I was ten, I went and bought this DVD of Shane Crawford did this video about one year, and it, and I loved it. Uh, and anything he said, I would have listened to. And I guess being a fan growing up, I sort of realised that there was a platform for players. And I guess through my career, I probably don't. You know, it's hard when you're the when you're me. Like I don't feel like I've got a platform per se. I, I have places where I can talk, but I, I'm not the best player, I'm not the coolest player, I'm not the fan favorite player for a small club, all these things, but I still think I would have some voice, but that's why I'm like, there are players with bigger voices, and to me, that's an opportunity that not many people get, so if you've got that position, because it's hard to influence people, fundamentally, leadership's all about, can you influence people in, you know, in, in a positive way, and you know, some people say they're not leaders and all these things, but fundamentally, it's like the role model discussion. I think is like it's a silly conversation to have. When you're a sportsman, ninety nine percent of the time you're going to be a role model in some capacity. It's just unfortunately, you know, the cards is part of it. It's part of the it's part of the journey because people look at like kids look up to you. It doesn't, mm-hmm. They're not going to just pick and choose. But like, oh, he said he doesn't want to be a role model, so therefore, I don't care what he does. It just doesn't work like that in my view, anyway. So. I, that's what I think for, for players and all athletes that is, is you have actually have an opportunity that you can make, a, it might be a minutiae difference. Like it might be a little thing, but you do have that opportunity. And it's like, what do you lend yourself to? And that's something that I've probably thought more and more of more recently is that while I'm playing and people do listen to me, how can I influence them? Hopefully in a, in a positive manner and not go so far from who I am. You know, I'm probably not going to all of a sudden become the keep cop cup keep cup cop everywhere and run around with matcha and all these things. That's probably not me, but what I will do is hopefully learn more that I can have some informed conversations and create some change. And I guess that's something that I want to do and make sure that I continue to make good decisions in my own life that I'm actually, you know, helping, helping the situation. I just think all players have got the right to educate themselves and realize they've got a platform that if they actually care about something, that the opportunity presents itself. So I do want to I want to address that in two ways because I have been interested to see the flack that um, sports people are getting on talking about climate and how I would address that is it, address that in two ways. Most people who are professional sports people would be under thirty, would you say? When we cut the data about the public sentiment data by age, Australians under thirty about 50% of them are alarmed on climate change. If we add anybody over 30, it goes down to 24. Mm. The percentage of people under 30, Australians under 30, who we would describe as dismissive about climate change, dismiss the science, is 1%. 
So the vast majority of Australians under 30 are extremely worried about climate change or concerned about it. So actually by voicing your concern as as Australians under 30 and as role models and as leaders, you're actually the voice of the opinions of your generation. So that's the first thing I would say. So to expect um, professional sports people to completely and always stay silent about the, the issue of their generation is unrealistic. The second thing I'd always say, particularly to kind of anxious people in the sporting world who might be administrators and all the rest of it. If I said to you, there is an issue that fundamentally affects the future of your game, that is the biggest issue for your future players and fans, and main fact stop, all the young people playing your game, would you be worried about that? Yes, it is climate change. So, I mean, when we were thinking and when you were talking about waking up as a kid and kind of peeking through to see the weather... And I was already engaged with climate change at the time, but during the Black Summer Fires, um, um, all my kids played different kinds of sport. They've all got asthma. They just couldn't even leave the house. It wasn't even they just couldn't play summer soccer. They could not leave the Mm. house. And I remember one of my kids said, when is this going to end, Mum? When can Mm. we go out and run? And I'm like, oh, my God, we couldn't even go to the outdoor pool. That is going to really affect whether you're going to be okay with your kids running out you know, doing a kind of running sport, nobody really wants to play AFL. And so the thought of indoor AFL makes me very sad, right? So so we've got two things. We've got professional sports people not ignoring the biggest issue of their generation. And of anybody who cares about sport, caring about not just the future of sport, the current nature of play. So I think that for me, I, I get that people don't necessarily, they kind of feel a bit antsy or concerned that, Sports people will use their platform to talk about all kinds, you know, any kind of issue. I don't really have a problem with that. But at at a pragmatic level, this is where we are on the issue of sport and climate. They're so tied together about how we, about, and whether you're a fan, whether you're for, whether you're you're Mm. a professional sports person, whether you're a sponsor, because that's the other thing I would say to people who are interested in sport. You look around the grounds of any sporting place that has, you know, different sponsors, they're all making commitments, right, to net zero. They're all doing all kinds of things. And and so that you're actually even getting the, the sponsorship and corporate sphere aligning with a need to do these kinds of things. So I actually think this isn't radical. This is going to become business as usual pretty quickly. So Izzy, what did you like about that clip? Uh, well, firstly, uh, Rebecca Huntley is probably one of the funniest people I've ever <laughs> had the pleasure of listening to. So, uh, yeah, a 45-minute episode of her on the podcast was brilliant. Um, She'd probably hate us to say that we do actually call her Auntie Becky. I was going to say, is, that, yeah. is it I safe don't think to that's say allowed. Yeah. I actually don't think we should <laughs> no, be saying this in the public forum. She, she loves, loves it. it. She's, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's Professor Auntie Becky. Professor Auntie Becky, that's right. <laughs> that's some respect to the name. No, she's a, a ripper and um, just such a, a great communicator in this space, but... Um, yeah, really clicked well with Phil there. And I think, yeah, I think the whole sort of discussion about the whole keep cup, cop sort of thing, which I think is, uh, you named the... And it's Hudson a proud Kilda? title that I hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thought so. Um, I think that sort of vulnerability to admit, um, you know, that we don't know everything um, and sort of that discussion around, you know what, even if you don't know anything um, you know, you know a little bit. You know everything. It's it's important to have these discussions and, and use your platform. And it's actually um, 
yeah, way more important than being silent on it. And, um, you know, people listening out there might really, really relate with Phil and probably will and go, yeah, I I don't know anything. I care. I care about, I'm under 30. I care about climate. I know it's an issue, but I don't know everything. Um, You know, I'm going to start somewhere. Um, and that's okay. And I think it's really reassuring as well to hear Rebecca's statistics around, you know, how many people under 30 are alarmed about climate change and how many are, you know, you know concerned as well. So, you know, it goes to such an enormous majority of, of the, the population under 30 that this is their number one issue. And so I think, you know, for me, uh, I know I'm over 30 now, but, you know... The boomers as, next as, to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not quite a boomer, but, you know, maybe, maybe I sometimes feel like one, uh, get out of bed after a, after a game day. But, um, no, I think it was just, um, you know, really reassuring for me to understand it. And as I was starting this work, to understand just how many people are, you know, harbouring the same level of concern about climate change and the impacts it can have on, you know, the people, the places and, and the game that we love. Um, so Jasper brings us to your pick, the second pick in the uh, the cool down draft. Yeah, so um, we had Nick Barr and, and Leslie Hughes, basically, yeah, talking about the basics really. And I think I think it is really important for us on this podcast and our own journey to. Whilst we don't have to know everything, I think it is beneficial to know the basics around the science. And there are some just basic things that are really handy to know when you sort of embark on these conversations, just to make yourself feel a bit more confident. Um, and Leslie uh, is one of, I guess, that we've done a lot of work with who's always willing to give us her time. So we're super stoked that she, she was able to come on the show. And she also bounced off with Nick really well. But um, I just, yeah, took a lot out of this clip of her just talking about her, her time touring the country as a, as a, um, climate commissioner and those conversations she had way back when with just communities around Australia, which I just thought was super interesting. Um, when communities get the opportunity to be asked what they think about a certain issue and you bring them into the conversation, the kind of responses you get from that. So, Yeah. It was during the when Julia Gillard became Prime Minister and had a hung parliament. And so the independents and the Greens um, helped to shape this thing called the Clean Energy Future Package, which was bringing in the carbon price for the first time. Mm. And as part of trying to communicate with the Australian public about what that meant and why it was important... This thing called the Climate Commission was set up and there were six commissioners and I was very privileged to be asked to be one. And I can honestly say that was a life-changing event because it set my career path from that point of being a communicator and an advocate in climate change, not just a researcher. Mm. We had about two and a half years with the Commission, um, as you say, um, going around Australia. I still had my day job as a fairly busy academic, including being head of my department, so that was a bit challenging. But anyway, we visited about 30 different towns and cities around Australia. We'd usually stay for about three days. We talked to lots and lots of people, but the highlight was always a sort of a literally a town hall event where we'd sit up on a stage with a facilitator and people were invited to come and just ask us questions. And we got all sorts of questions from all sorts of people. It was a bit nerve wracking to begin with because we had, we didn't even know each other very well, Mm. let alone know what to expect. 
And it was at a time where the, the, there was a lot of toxicity about the climate change issue. Tony Abbott was the leader of the opposition and was, you know, a leader of the opposition. Mm. So we sort of went into it thinking there'd be a lot more pushback on what we were talking about. And that the really pleasant thing was that there wasn't very much of that. People that came along to these events genuinely wanted to know more. They wanted to know about the science. They wanted to know about their local impacts. They wanted to know what they could do. So on the whole, I would say 99% of the time, it was a really positive experience. Mm. And then after we did these events, we'd go down to the floor and we'd have a cup of tea and biscuit with with people and just had that really informal interaction as well. And Mm. it was just a fantastic experience. Yeah, for sure. I think I sort of feel like with, you know, what you talk about with your experience then, I think it's the same for a lot of footy fans as well. People don't necessarily not care about climate change. They just don't know. And giving them opportunities to ask questions and to talk to people and I guess create, you know, you mentioned those more casual interactions after you were all sort of sit up on the stage. But those casual interactions and breaking down barriers so you can actually get some great engagement and learn more is so important. And I think, you know, that's what Footy for Climate is trying to do as well is breaking down those barriers to... I guess, create connections between people that might not otherwise be there or create connections between people and climate change, which is very real in their lives. Mm. The, the interesting thing that off, that sometimes happened is that occasionally you'd get some sort of climate denialist sort of ranting and raving. Mm. And when that happened, often we didn't have to say anything. Other people in the audience would sort of turn around to these people and, and give them a dressing down. You know, it, you know, it, was, it, it sort of made our job easier. Um, there was this sort of collective spirit in these rooms and it didn't matter where it was, whether it was a capital city or some town, you know, out western New South Wales or whatever. Mm. That's what we saw. So I came away from that experience really thinking, A, there's a huge thirst for knowledge, not, not necessarily all the nitty-gritty of the science, but, you know, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? What does it mean for my family's future? Mm. Um, and people were open-minded about that, and that was a really positive thing. I think it just shows that when you give people the opportunity to engage in, in an important issue, whether they're on one side or another, that's that's the key. It's it's And, you know, in the time that we've been working with Footy for Climate, we've come to the understanding there are a lot of communities and and groups around the country who just aren't brought into the conversation. They're left out a bit. So I think, you know, it's just a great um, example of if you actually spend time going around and getting everyone's opinions and so everyone feels like they've been able to contribute to an issue. And I think, you know, right now we're looking at a similar thing with the voice. It's getting everyone, giving everyone the opportunity to have an input into the direction of um, these really important topics. It's just, it's, I just think it's a great example of what we're doing that um, we've got to make sure that we listen to all our players, our fans and what they're saying and what their thoughts and feelings are when we consider, you know, what we do around climate. So, um, yeah, and I guess as well to hear Leslie talk about how it was overwhelmingly positive for the most part and people, people want to do stuff um, and even people who might be a bit sceptical you know, they do want to help their communities at the end of the day. And you can find that link with um, in, with those types of people too. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And, you know, to hear someone of 
um, Leslie Scalibur talk about that being a real career highlight and sort of set her career on that trajectory as a climate communicator. Meant it's now that we get to work with someone like her who's an expert and she can teach us her sort of um, what she's learned over her time in that in that in her career. So yeah, just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's been an incredible career that she's had, you know, starting out working with ants and then, you know, working her way all the way through to, you know, being a climate commissioner now, climate counsellor. It's just um it's phenomenal and, and her ability to communicate the really hard science in a way that is easily digestible by, you know, dumb footballers like me is uh <laughs> Is just a really, uh, really an awesome thing, and we're so um, privileged to have had her on on the show. Don't feed the dumb footballer stereotype, Tom. No, Come I'll on. feed we've been trying life, to, mate. We've been trying to rectify I'll go that. Go back to the old tropes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that brings me to pick three in the cooldown draft. That's it's my pick, and um, I couldn't go past Greg Mullins and the conversation I was having with him. Um, you know. An, an exceptional person um, and just, a, you know, an incredible more than 40-year career as a firefighter. He's worked at every level of, of firefighting in Australia. And, um, you know, he spoke in the clip that we're going to play, he spoke about, um, you know, finding out about, you know, the sort of the term climate change for the first time in a conversation with his his now longtime friend Bill Whitmer when he was in the US. Um, basically asked him, you know, have you heard about climate change? Um, Greg goes on to explain, you know, really simply, you know, what the climate science is and how it impacts, you know, extreme um, weather um, like bushfires. So, yeah, let's have a listen. Well, look, we'd been through the 1994 bushfires in New South Wales. So that was a story in itself. They came out of the blue. And I remember Dad asking Dad about what's this season going to be like? And he said, I can't pick it. The weather conditions, everything's out of whack. The indicators I look for just aren't there so I don't know. We just had this massive season, the worst property damage ever experienced in New South Wales up to that time and I wanted to know what was happening around the world so I travelled to France, Spain, Canada, the US, got time with the London Fire Brigade but three months looking at how they dealt with bushfires and they'd all had major fires in southern Europe, um, 1993, California, the 1993 firestorm as they called it, Oakland, California, 1991 Oakland Hills fire and all of them were saying, hey, the fires are getting bigger. We're getting more firefighters, more aircraft, more technology, better training, better equipment, but we're losing and we're losing more homes, more lives and there's something not right. Now, one person in particular who's a dear friend still, a guy called Bill Whitmer, he was a, a fire captain in Oakland or I think, and actually while I was there, he was promoted to battalion chief, and which was a senior position, very wise, well-read man. And he said, have have you heard about global warming? And I said, uh, yeah, a bit. And he said, here's some papers to read, some scientific papers. And I and the penny dropped and I thought, because the scientists were sounding the alarm back in the 90s saying this is going to lead to extreme weather, drier, hotter weather and bigger floods too, um, because it, it's going to intensify all of the bad stuff that gets thrown at us periodically. And it's going to mean that they'll happen more often. And so I really started to study this and realised, hey, we're, we're in deep trouble. Yeah, I, I love that clip from Greg. Uh, I really think in the conversation we, you know, kind of started with his family connection and, you know, Greg mentions that he asked his dad what the, se the upcoming fire season was going to look like and he said he couldn't pick it. And then when he went on this fellowship, you know, he meets with experts around the world, including Bill Whitmer, and sort of joins those dots for him around, you know, global warming or climate change. And, 
you know, I think, um, you know, it really spells out really clearly that sort of connection between, you know, climate change and, you know, accelerating natural disasters and, um, you know, the impacts are going to have on you know, extreme bushfires and floods. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, if there's a, an, ep- you know, there's lots of episodes that are great in, in the series, but, you know, for me, this was a real favourite. Yeah, I think as well, interesting, we, we still use that term and I, and I fall for this as well, natural disasters. I think it's, it's probably safe to say that these extreme weather events are, are totally unnatural because of, you know, global warming and, and the impact that that's starting to have. Um, whereas, yeah, bushfires and floods we usually see is these kind of freak things that happen naturally, but more the more they happen, I think we're realising that maybe we've got something to do with it. So, um, yeah, I agree though, it was, you know, he's been on the ground for decades like fighting these fires so that respect you have for someone who's risked their life to do it and is still willing to risk their life I know he's definitely sort of in his middle age now but he still will be the first down there on, on ground zero come fire or flood um, that's just the kind of person he is so I guess it's it's really hard not to respect someone who goes to those lengths to to fight for fight for yeah climate yeah, I mean, a bit scary, to be honest, though, some of the stuff he was saying, like the fact that despite us, you know, progressing in the technology and resources and infrastructure and all these things, like the the fires are getting worse. Um, and I guess it just goes to show that we can't be reactionary with this stuff. Like it's not just about fighting the fires better when they come. It's about preventing them um, and stopping the root cause, which, yeah, is clear that it's climate change and... Um, yeah, I think a lot, a lot needs to go into it. So yeah, if there's a voice you're going to trust on this topic, it's Greg and clearly he's been through, um, yeah, an incredible journey with just that sort of penny dropping. Like it's crazy that how sort of recent that was in a way. Yeah. Without doubt, Greg is absolutely the guy. And, um, I think that brings us to pick four in the cool down draft. Uh, all right. That's your pick, yeah. is Not a snaky order. That's good. Not a snaky. No, I thought... How did I, I, thought, no. I won the lottery or something or I came last in the ladder. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so big ep that I loved was uh, the ep with Craig Rucastle. Um Yeah, bit of a childhood hero of mine. So it was cool to meet him and hear him speak and obviously all his work with Warren Waste um, on ABC has been amazing. But, yeah, just hearing him speak um, and his expertise about sort of recycling and, and plastic packaging and then, um, you know, JP chiming in with his own uh, personal stories about it and the work that he's doing in that space with uh, upcycling using old soft plastics and everything. So, yeah, I think there was a, a lot of elements of that episode which were um, pretty sort of relatable and applicable to our everyday life and, you know, your personal sort of journey with waste and plastic and all of those things. So, yeah, dive in. Nice. Let's hear from Craig. Look, I- the soft plastic one's a really interesting one because, yeah, like I think it's, it's a massive amount of soft plastic goes into landfill at the moment. Like even when Red Cycle was working, we're only talking about a small percentage, like a few percentage was being picked up. Now this is the link. This is where the link comes to climate change. So. <clears throat> Soft plastics, most of the plastic we're using, at the moment we have a recycling rate of about 13%. So think about that go, okay, we've got 13% recycling rate in plastic. So that means that most of the time that we get a new plastic product, most of the time there's a new bit of plastic packaging, that is virgin fossil fuels. That is new oil or gas that's creating that. Oil and gas, obviously, fossil fuels have a large carbon footprint. 
not as bad as burning them. Obviously, that's when the most of it's released, but digging them up, creating them, all that kind of stuff has a carbon footprint. So a really big question we face as a nation is like, if we're going to have plastic packaging, if we're going to have all this plastic there, is there a way to make it that it's recycled and properly recycled rather than every time we get a new bit, we just get some more virgin fossil fuel? Because there are talks about, you know, if we all suddenly start driving EVs and we're getting rid of um, using petrol and that in other ways, the actual major use of fossil fuels in the future will be things like packaging and plastic and clothing. I mean, over 60% of clothing we wear is plastic, is oil. So, Dealing with that question is a massive has a massive waste issue. It's a massive waste thing, but it has a real link to climate change as well in the future because we can't go, hey, we don't use any oil and gas in our cars anymore, but most of our clothing and enormous amounts of our packaging and everything we go to the shops and get is all from oil and gas. So that's that, that's one of the challenges we face. So soft plastics is you know the red cycle falling over has been terrible, but in a way is also good. It has kickstarted a much bigger conversation that we'll be covering in the show about are there bigger and better solutions, other ways that we can actually solve this. Jasper, you know, you spoke to so many players just about some of, you know, their concerns, but what are the really key waste issues that are coming up in footy right now? I think a lot of it's around apparel and food, definitely. Um, You know, we've had the stuff like uh, sponsored cups that, you know, our Gatorades and Parades come in, like, you know, guys would just drink one, bin, get another one, you know, real basic stuff like that. Like, let's just bring drink bottles, all that kind of thing. But I think I think yeah. the one that comes up a lot is is around the apparel because – and it's a tricky one because, uh, you know, you you have your apparel sponsors. They bring out a new line of the, their, their merch every year. Um, you get different sponsors. Um, so, there's kind of implications. Uh, you, from a performance point of view, we, we you know, we need to – be wearing something that's going to help us perform and, you know, being a sport like football as well, things get ripped all the time because it's rough and we tackle and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and then down to the fans who want to support their teams and wear the colours and get the new version of the jumper. And I mean, that's all part of the footy identity as well as your your team colours, the most up-to-date jumper or, you know, the throwback retro jumpers. Mm. And for players, you know, we actually, well, you're still playing, Tom, you, you train, what, six days a week. You, you're getting pretty sweaty every time you train. You, you, you're going through so many different singlets and T-shirts and shorts or whatever, you know, on a daily basis. So, and that all gets replaced every year. But then I think the things we're hearing from our players, like, you know, where's that going? How can we ensure that this old gear that we wear which has still got heaps of life left in it can go to you know you know go to someone secondhand or you know and you know there's a lot of good stuff happening and there's a lot of people who are very conscious of buying not new products and trying to buy secondhand stuff but inevitably it feels like down the line it is just going to be handballed to someone who probably doesn't or can't deal with it um, mm. and I know there are some um, like apparel here in, in Melbourne are doing some great stuff in that space but yeah I think I think the apparel thing and the packaging it comes in for, for the footy players we speak to is is probably the big one yeah and look it's, it's, it's funny because look I, you're right that I can't see people using the same stuff in AFL from year to year your sponsors change and all that kind of stuff I mean 
you'd think there'd be an interesting second-hand market in that because people would love to buy the clothes that their footy idols wear, you know, that kind of stuff. So clean them up and sell them on and get that second-hand use out of them because realistically with most clothes, it doesn't matter whether it's made from cotton or wool or plastic or whatever, they all have their own footprint. I mean, hemp is probably the best out of all of them, but they all have got their own quite big footprint from a carbon perspective and a water and all that kind of stuff. So the, really the main thing you can do is wear those clothes longer and longer prolong their life. So if you guys are going, well, I can't wear this over the year, after the year it's got to be handed on, then hand it on to somebody else. Talking about the ripped clothes, you know, something I'd love to see done actually in AFL, because we talk about this, we're going to look at this in the show, is that realistically what you need to do is repair clothes and keep using them. You know, like I constantly hate my go-through jeans and I just want to repair them and I do repair them but I try to I'm not very good at it but give, give them a longer life I'd love to see the AFL player he got the top ripped in a game and came out and it was all stitched up in the club colours the next day they're like this is my badge of pride you ripped it I've repaired it I'm back on the field you know and by the end of the season the player who's the roughest has got lines everywhere where they've just repaired this shirt I, I love the idea of that you know Kind of symbolism in that to you know you can't you can't keep us down you know we'll just keep yeah. getting back up repairing yeah I, I reckon yeah. that's great and um I love that I love that idea because it goes to what we all do is you know we should be repairing this stuff and you know being proud of the fact that I've worn it for longer rather than being at the moment you know on social media or whatever the the reward is I'm proud of, look I got this new thing and I'm putting it on and you know I, you know how can we make people proud that they're wearing stuff over and over again and you know repairing it and it's, this is the thing I got from an op shop from 50 years ago, that kind of stuff, you know, how do we renew that? Because, yeah, you're in fashion, Jasper. It's it's got a kind of footprint there. And the quicker we go, the quicker we're churning through it, the more of an impact we're having on a waste and a climate impact. impact. So, Izzy, uh, I'm like you. Craig was one of my absolute heroes uh, growing up and his work with the war on waste has been massive for me as well. What did you like about that clip? Yeah, soft plastics, riveting stuff. <laughs> but somehow he makes it interesting, and I think that's yeah the beauty of Craig as a sort of presenter is you can turn these things that are <laughs> perhaps not so exciting to speak about into yeah something very interesting. Um, I feel like this yeah chat about waste and soft plastics, like for me. I think it's really applicable to sort of like everyday life and what we can do because um, I think as I've you know, started to listen more to things like this and, um, you know, get to know a bit more about waste and um, the impact, like it's something I can then apply to my thinking and my everyday life as well and something I'm definitely more aware of now. Um, So, you know, making more conscious choices when I'm going to the supermarket about, um, you know, two different sort of options. If one's got um, a bunch of plastic um, packaging, then, you know, like I'm going to Uh, you know, prioritise the other one. So I think it's something that everyone can sort of apply uh, their lens to and it's a bit more in reach. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I think, yeah, and then hearing hearing from JP later in that episode and and just seeing the work that you've done, JP, uh, in creating these incredible upcycled products using soft plastics, I think that was super interesting too. And, um, yeah, hopefully everyone sort of has a bit of a different lens on it now. Yeah, we might be able to do a bit of that soft plastic upcycling with a, a bunch of our players soon at the Intercarry workshop. Um, I just, I also thought I will add. Um, I think waste. Craig really um, explains 
the aspects of waste that actually contribute to climate. He makes that um, differentiation, which, um, you know, waste generally is really bad, but it doesn't always have a direct correlation to climate. So I think it's important to have that distinction. And that was something I learned from that episode that I hadn't really thought about like that. So, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of knowledge, but he's, yeah, as you mentioned, he's, he's, he's such a funny, fun guy to actually have these serious conversations with. I felt like it was our most maybe lighthearted episode, although we did delve into some really, you know, um, serious topics, but to have that kind of, yeah, I thought it was a really fun episode to be involved in. Yeah, it was an absolute uh, highlight for me. I just, yeah, I remember watching Chase's War and Everything as a kid and then, um, you know, I've loved uh, War on Waste and, yeah, to have Craig on was just such a highlight. And, yeah, I think, you know, his ability to... Um, you know, really highlight this issue. You know, we've, we've spoken about, you know, for the players, you know, waste is a bit of the gateway drug into the climate and environment space. And, um, yeah, really important distinction to make, though, about, you know, which parts of the waste issue are directly contributing to climate change and, and which ones are still just important issues for us to solve but aren't, you know, directly having, you know, does your single-use coffee cup cause climate change? Well, probably not really, but it's still an important thing for us to address. Um, so I found Gerling pretty hard during that ep. Uh, yeah, it was pretty hard to concentrate. I was just staring intently into his eyes. Um, <laughs> no, so I think that brings us to our, our next pick, JP. What, what are we up to? Is this pick pick five? Yeah, so this was a, a really good episode, one where you, you uh, stepped away. Not that's, that's not what made it good, but um, <laughs> Thanks, we, uh, yeah, we were privileged to have three incredible, well, four incredible women um, involved in this episode. Um, Nick Barr is the host. Um, it was in and around International Women's Day, um, but we thought really important to have an episode on the amazing women in the climate movement um, who, you know, quite often women are leading the charge on this important issue. Um, so, yeah, we had Nick hosting, which was really appropriate because she's so involved in our work and, and is a great communicator. And then, yeah, we sort of delved into some different parts, but M. Pocock and Sam Mostyn in particular, just sort of talking about why they believe athletes are good climate messengers. Um, and, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Let's have a listen. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I often encounter athletes who really care so deeply about climate, but they'll say things to me like, oh, I don't have that many followers, so, you know, Mm. I'm not going to be the best person to um, use my platform on this. And we just find that that's absolutely not true. Mm. Um, The thing that's really powerful is the story that you have to tell. And we found across launching the cool down and those like, you know, 400 plus athletes who wanted to be part of that and then launching Footy for Climate in the wake of that. I spoke to so many athletes who wanted to find a way to tell their story about why they care about climate. And so I'd say things to them like, oh, will you send me some dot points and I'll help put it together into a story and they'd send me their dot points and I'd add a few joining words and send it back to them and they'd be like, oh, this is incredible. You know, how did you do this? And I'll say, I just literally added a with and an and. This is your story. Like you have a powerful story to tell. And Mm. I think once you can connect the things that have happened in your life to climate change, whether Mm. that's your favourite holiday destination that you used to go to with your family every year as a kid over the Mm. summer that was affected by the Black Summer bushfires, whether that's not being able to take your kids to the park for weeks on end because your city was blanketed by bushfire smoke, whether that was, you know, seeing season after season affected by rainfall in this freaky La Nina period that Mm. we've been in. You know, so many of us now have a climate story to tell. Mm. We have things that we love that are going to be affected or already are being affected by climate. And Mm. 
helping people realise that they have a powerful story to tell already mm. and that it doesn't matter if they've got 3 million followers or 1,000, uh, you know, it comes back to that quote that we were talking mm. about at the start, like your task isn't to fix the entire world at once mm. but to reach out and mend the part of the world that's within your reach. Mm. Um, and so, you know, obviously we're working with athletes who are amazing messengers and, and really powerful at doing this but it's because they have such, you know, incredibly personal stories to tell and I think that that's the answer that we often give when they say, oh, but I don't know enough about the science. So mm. you don't have to talk about that. Yep. You have to talk about how this is affecting your life and yep. why you care about it. What's in what's in your reach. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Sam? I think we just have to uh, treat people with respect where we find them, mm. which I think is what you've both been saying, and that is in Australia we are – culturally sport addicted mm. and so we we crave the we, you know, we crave the sporting seasons we lock in we become you know tragic followers as we know um nick and suddenly those those people in sport are carrying enormous cultural authority mm. and i think whether they're footy players or they're cricketers or they they're already trusted largely mm. by a community when they when they deviate and say, actually, on this stuff, I really care about this too. Mm. I'm going to share my personal story. There's just a a natural um, allegiance with that by so many people who follow sport to say, Mm. well, if Pat Cummings says that, then I can do that. Yeah, and it gives you permission. It's permission and it allows people to bring their – you find that you, 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 people find that issue and hear that where they are. Mm. And I think, this is, I think this is one of the most incredible programs of actually tapping into this incredibly deep – vein of cultural norms of how much we are sport obsessed mm. and it, it can be every sport and it can mm. be um, and for those that don't have a sports um, um, facing love you know I think about what um, years ago at the Sydney Theatre Company when I was on the board there we we did it through an arts thing and we had we had the Sydney Theatre mm. Company we had this program that said um, the planet is not a dress rehearsal mm. and we turned the whole of the, the Sydney Theatre Company into a, a green power source mm. and we told every person who came to a show that what you're seeing has had a climate assessment done and mm. um, it'll be slightly warmer here because we're not using as much um, cooling, mm. but you as a theatre goer should be concerned about the climate. And so many of those people did love sport, but many were getting their, their message mm. from actors and from our creative industry saying, actually, I'm in a I'm in a venue now seeing something cultural that's paying its its way on climate issues. So mm. I think the same with supermarket. When you walk into a supermarket, and and I would love to walk into a supermarket today and and talk to young people about here are the seasons. You can see the seasons. Mm. We're not shipping in stuff from all around the world because um, because the supermarket thinks you want everything all the time. We actually limit our mm. our sites, and I'd love that kind of thing to be as normal as as hearing a sports person talking about the climate impact and then say we're all adjusting our lives to deal with it and we're all now feeling this. And so when we hear that confirmed by people we admire and whose posters are up in our kids' bedrooms and the like, it's a different, it's a better conversation and it's it's one that I think takes us much further than telling people to read the IPCC report or <laughs> listen to um, a climate scientist. read that whole thing? I do. I'm such a nerd. But, but you know, I, I, think it, I, I think about the, the late Professor Will Steffen who passed away mm. over the summer, um, one of the great science communicators who would always just come back and say, do what you can do. You know, don't worry, the scientists are working on all of this. We're, we've actually, we're telling you what you need to do, mm. um, but always with optimism and say, talk to your communities share the share what you're experiencing collect you know big big collect together and do things and 
figure it out, the things you're going to do, and then take this matter up to your local MPs. Mm. Make it an issue and, and help us traverse this time we've been in, which has been highly ideological, and take us through to this is about our lives mm. and we're all part of it. But sport, I think, for Australians, I think it's an incredibly thing, incredibly important thing that you're doing mm. with this program and with front runners because we trust our sports stars. Why did you pick that clip? Well, I think it's very relevant to sort of our intention of this podcast and I guess, you know, big part of my role in Footy for Climate up until we thankfully brought Izzy on was, you know, having these conversations with players and I think, you know, Izzy would um, agree with me that this is something that we talk about with them is their confidence around speaking and, and telling their story and um, it's just great to hear someone like Em who's supported, you know, husband Dave through his rugby career and did a lot of that work behind the scenes to prepare him with what to say and, and help him shape that story publicly. And then someone like Sam Moston, who's just been involved in, in sport and footy, particularly for so many years, you know, at executive level, um, you know, as a fan, talk about the obvious reasons to them why sport is such a natural messenger and a trusted source for, for you know, all kinds of generations. Um, so, yeah, I guess... I really like the part about as well about finding that personal connection. And, you know, today um, we were at the Industry Roundtable event at Richmond and Brendan Gale, um, president of Richmond, said, you know, as it's that kind of social um, authority that we have as athletes and sporting organisations, he mentioned something similar about we have the ability to open hearts and minds um, with through our members and supporters who might not otherwise hear about these kind of issues and I just think it's such a great point connecting with fans and people on their level with our personal stories to really kind of find that common ground so yeah I I think for me like I get inspired by those personal stories whoever it may be who's telling them that's what makes me connect to something so I think it was just nice to hear two brilliant women talking about that from their perspective. Yeah it was a real privilege to to get to listen to this episode, you know, the cool down, you know, something that I've, you know, worked really, you know, closely on with with all of you. Um, but to sort of take a back seat in this episode um, and see the, you know, really careful curation of having, you know, Sam Moston, Emma Pocock and Grace Vegasana, sort of three women at sort of different ages and stages of their careers. Um, and, you know, I really sort of was drawn to what Emma was talking about there with uh, just how, um, you know, we can tell our own authentic story. That's the work you're doing, Izzy, with the players is really sort of trying to connect with them and their their own ability to to tell those stories. You know, you know, how is it, you know, connecting with the with the players and, and sort of leading this work? Yeah, I guess um as Em spoke about on that podcast ep, it's sort of like you need to give players the confidence that their story matters and their personal com- connection matters. And they don't need – it's not a prerequisite that you need to be an expert on the science or any of this before you sort of can explain your story and um, your passion for climate. Like, it, yeah, it doesn't need to follow and it doesn't need to be in that linear order. No um, one can take that from you either, which I think is yeah, a really 100%. good way to disarm anyone who might try and, you know, shut you down because you're a footy player and you shouldn't be talking about it. It's like, well, hang on, I care about this and this is why I've got every right to care about whatever I want to care about and if I want to talk about it. So, yeah, sorry. No, 100%. Um, But I think it's also, like, not just applicable for athletes too, but I think it shows the power of storytelling just generally and, um, you know, if you're in a community and speaking to your friends, just that 
highlighting that personal connection and your why is really, really massive in engaging people and helping them understand and sort of putting that human element into it. Um, and again, it doesn't require, you know, any supreme knowledge or, um, yeah, expert knowledge or anything. It's just, um, so it's really just the human and, and personal uh, elements and connection, which is super, super powerful. And I think especially hearing Emma Pocock speak, I think some people listening would probably start to understand how, you know, Jasper um, and I and, and you, you know, coming on a bit later, Izzy, have been able to sort of drive this work because we've got somebody with so much belief uh, in athletes and, and the power of what we can do behind us and really backing us, uh, which sort of leads me to the final pick in the draft, the one that I've given myself, and you were talking about the snake, but it's it's actually because I could give myself the final word. Um, and <laughs> And it's um, uh, this clip is um, you know a real highlight for me is the conversation with Dave Pocock, um, and you know he's been such a such a beacon for athletes to sort of use their public platform to talk about climate and other important issues um, that we do discuss in the episode. Um, and you know the cool down wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his leadership along with with Emma Pocock. Um, and this clip that we're going to play is just about the time that he was uh, at a protest at a coal mine near Narrabri, and he chained himself to a coal um, uh, to an excavator, and just like this wild thing of like the, ca- the captain of the Wallabies, um, you know, one of Australia's, one of the world's best rugby players, um, you know, really getting involved in direct action, and you know, for him to explain his reasons for doing that, I think are really powerful. So yeah, let's play that clip. I mean, talk, talking about things is one thing. You know that you're going to get some some blowback, some criticism, and you know, getting involved at Narrabri really, for me, it got it got to the point where you know you you talk about something, you sign the petition, you turn up to the to the rally. We we're not we weren't seeing we're not seeing the changes that we need. This Malls Creek coal mine is in the middle of a state forest that is at a critically endangered ecosystem in one of our best farming areas in the country it it's total madness that we are opening coal mines in these sorts of areas and i guess visiting and talking to one of the local farmers rick laird you know uh involved in the local rural fire service salt of the earth farmer his family had been there for for generations he'd never been involved in anything like this but he was also saying like hang on this is this is one my livelihood my kids are going to have to cop the consequences of this and we're all going to pay if we continue to expand the fossil fossil fuel industry in australia and so it really got to the point where personally i felt like this was something that i wanted to do that I that I needed to do and it's it was it was a really honestly a tough decision because uh, in a team sport you you hate to do anything that puts your teammates out um so really trying to weigh that with the the personal sort of pull that I was feeling to stay true to my values and yeah sort of went went ahead with it and and there was a a decent fallout and and yeah a, a, a bunch of my teammates didn't agree with with what i did others were supportive but you know at the end of the day it was something that i felt like i i 
I wanted to do, felt like I, I needed to do and, and was willing to cop the, the, the consequences of that. For better or worse in sport, often a lot is forgiven when you get out there and perform. Um, could you talk to me about turning up to training the next day and did you train well? <laughs> so, yeah, we got sort of released from lockup and then um, M drove through the night to to get us back to Canberra till, you know, at, I don't know, like 6.30 or whatever it was, dashed into the house, grabbed my my training gear and, and um, footy boots and headed to training and... Yeah, I guess you don't want to, you don't want to let the team down. So I think I trained pretty, I trained pretty well, <laughs> well that day. Um, but you know, quite bizarre going from the top of a however many story up super digger, um, sitting with a with a farmer for most of the day to turning up to footy training the next day. Yeah, I've uh, I have heard a couple of anecdotes that that maybe you you put on one of the best training performances anyone had ever seen but I think um, yeah it, it just does go to show that um, while you were prepared to use your platform you, you also did um, back it up on field um, you know during your rugby clear we've, we've spoken about you know, you were really clear on a couple of key issues but you know now you're a senator and and there are a lot of issues that come your way for discussion and and for really important decision making and and it's been really clear this year that you have a really strong position on on lots of things um not just on um you know uh climate action and um you know tackling homophobia i think of the ir the ir reform legislation um you know safeguards mechanism um you know how is it now do you, do you feel it's almost more freeing to be able to um express your views on lots more issues or do you find it a real challenge to have to stay across so many things that are, that are coming your way all the time it it is it is a challenge staying staying across things i guess the one of the things i've loved is is learning more about all these different areas being able to pick up the phone and and basically speak to any expert try and get across it then go out and consult with people in the community here here in the act and and formulate a view on on all these various things that come through i'm i'm there to represent people in the act my um power simply comes from people having put their trust in me and I'm very aware of that and wanting to to honor that uh, you know after after I finished playing um after I retired from rugby I used to joke a lot with with um with Emma that I'd spent thousands of hours working on all these skills that were totally useless now <laughs> like totally redundant i was never going to use them again i was never going to be you know trying to get in the, into the ruck and, and steal the ball but then getting into politics and, and during the election campaign started to realize just how much sport actually teaches you all these all these skills that you pick up being able to be part of a team taking on board feedback wanting to continually uh, get better have a work ethic really sort of wanting to step up and perform under pressure and, and then learn from that and say, okay, well, that was pretty good, but I could do this a bit better and, and, and I'll, I'll be better the next time. Yeah, I, th I think it, sport does teach you so many of those skills that are transferable into, into, the, rest of, into the rest of life. So that, 
that has been a lot of fun trying to continue that sort of mindset of wanting to continually improve and and get better yeah pretty powerful tom tell us what you thought yeah i I mean it was such a such a powerful moment in the conversation and I think it really got to the heart of you know what we're trying to do with footy for climate which is um, you know bring a lot of players together and then you know use our platforms to have conversations with fans but I think the collective is the important part um, because Dave was you know out there by himself and you know he really struggled um, in that moment with the decision making to you know think about the impacts that was going to have on his his teammates um, but you know he was really clear in in the reasons why he he did what he did. Um, yeah, he's such a such a strong leader um, on field. But you know I think you know seeing his transition into a, being a political leader, um, you know it's just so clear that that he's got um, you know such a strong um, you know sense of you know what's important to him. His values are so strong, and um, you know I think this was such a you know, clear example of you know an athlete deciding to to use his platform to to get attention for what is a really important issue. Yeah, I think it's as well just, um, you know, we've all been involved in team sport for most of our lives and you sit down most years and you figure out what your team values are and what we're all going to abide by and, um, you know, that's really important part of the process of getting the success you want as a team. But honestly, from my uh, personal experiences, sometimes those values don't necessarily always fully align with your own personal values. and you at times as an athlete have to make sacrifices sometimes on your personal values to do the right thing by the team, um, whatever that may be. And, and that's what we live with day in, day out. And that's what, you know, that's what the expectation is. But I think it's just, it's very inspiring to see someone like Dave at the height of his career, captain of, you know, the Wallabies, like have the courage to, to do something like that, to stick true to himself and his own beliefs and values and then have those conversations with his teammates. And yeah, look, it probably wasn't pretty for for some of them, but sometimes you have to do, I think it's it's more detrimental to an individual to push on suppressing those inner morals and values if, if it's not going to make you sleep well at night. And, you know, I, I don't know if I would have ever been able to do something like that, but I mean, the fact that he did that, I think shows that, you know, what we're doing is not at that e- extreme, like, what we can do is really easy compared to sort of um, taking real action like that. And obviously he moments like that in time have made the job that we do a lot easier because he's, he's been a lone ranger and, and others like him. So yeah, I, I think it was a great clip because um, I think that's a challenge. I know it certainly was for me in my career at times is like that in a turmoil between your own personal values and morals sometimes when they clash with other parts of what you do as an athlete. Yeah, Dave also mentioned in our chat, you know, that the the trope of shut up and just kick the footy, mate, is gets brought up a lot. Um, is he? Why is it important that we sort of establish a, a collective movement uh, to sort of mitigate some of that? Yeah, well, it's just a bit of a stupid argument to be honest. We hear it a lot, but I mean, just with that discussion, I think we talk about courage a lot in sport and in footy, and you know, it's going back with the flight and glorify getting concussed and all these silly things. Like from a physical perspective, it's like. I listen to that and hear the passion in Dave's voice and like that is courage and as JP was speaking about it's um, you know Dave the person and his morals and values over uh, you know a rugby player and a football player because at the end of the day 
sport is not the most important thing in the world either. Um, and I think protecting our planet is, is much more important than that because we're not going to be able to have sport if we don't look after it properly either. So, yeah, it's really, really admirable. And um, I think athletes get really worried a lot because of that backlash. But, um, yeah, I think Dave's whole career and sort of the respect he has generally should be a really good example to players that if you – yeah, really do follow through on your values and, um, yeah, stick up for yourself. It's going to result in better outcomes, not only for, you know, planet and all sorts of social causes, but for yourself. And um, it's easy to just go with, yeah, what, you know, sport tells you to do or, um, you know, shut up and dribble, shut up and kick, whatever. But um, you're going to feel much more fulfilled as a person and therefore probably play better if you're you know sticking to your values and and standing up for what you believe in I think as well um, you know that was a number of years ago but I'd like to think you know in this modern day of sport um, you know the individual is valued a lot more I feel I think in latter parts of my career um, celebrating celebrating different individuals within sport I think you know, not everyone comes from the same mould anymore and we all have different morals, values and I think clubs are a lot better understanding that now and realising we can't fit all these athletes into the same box and as long as there's openness and transparency about what those values are and I've no doubt when Dave made that decision, he didn't probably just do it off the cuff without informing people, on a, you know, knowing what he's like. He, he would have made a really calculated and decision and done it in the best possible way. So I think as long as we all have the openness to have those conversations um, and understand each other more, um, I think sport's a really important place where you can allow people to do that and it, obviously with that public platform too for to sort of pave the way for others. Well, that's it. That's the six clips we've got for the final episode of The Cool Down. Super, um, super draft, if you will. It super, yeah, it was like a super draft. Um, I was actually thinking um, maybe we could just finish with a final hot take, but hot take doesn't seem right. Maybe it's a cool take. So oh, easy. Very um, good, Tom. Yeah, thanks. I'm like eight episodes in. I'm like a professional podcaster now. <laughs> oh, so um, yeah, what's your cool take? My cool. Well, what does that? What does that mean? It's <laughs> whatever you want it to mean. What's your cool take on the cool down? Cool take on the cool down. Um, Jesus, um, it's been really fun. Yeah, I've like even though I sat in to the recordings on most of the episodes, like I loved listening to them back, and I feel like I learnt so much. Um, and yeah, just the intersection of these experts who um, are probably you know footy fans themselves, and then players and the vulnerability of players to come on the podcast when they may not know everything or feel entirely comfortable. And um, yeah, I think that collaboration was just awesome. So. Yeah, it's, it's been a fun season and thanks for hosting, Tom. Your voice has been great. Yeah, thank you very much. I've, I've been working on it. Thought so. Um, and JP, cool take. Um, well, firstly, just want to thank all the players and, and experts that were willing to come on the show. I think, like, the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive from, you know, friends and family and people we don't know who have... Mum and dad. Yeah. <laughs> all the ones <laughs> Said they like listening to me. Yeah, who have... Um, bump those download numbers up but um no who have you know just said well done and um it's been really informative um i think yeah we're new to this we've learned along the way but i I feel like what we've got is something that we can you know develop further into the future and, and really um talk about all the other stuff so my cool take is 
I feel like it's been a success and that I hope we can continue um, yeah, making more episodes, talking about a range of different things and, and getting – and, yeah, growing our community, which is basically, yeah, the, the footy community. We want to bring more people in on the conversation. Well, Jasper and Izzy, thanks for joining me one last time on The Cool Down for Season 1. Been a pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tommy. And for all the fans and for, you know, uh, Bank Australia and for Producey for making Season 1 of The Cool Down possible, thank you very much. It's just been an absolute pleasure. Bye for now and we'll be back for Season 2. I'm your host, Tom Campbell, and thanks for listening to The Cool Down, a footy for climate podcast. The Cool Down is produced by Sam Dalton. And audio is edited by Darcy Parkinson from Producey. Episode research is done by me, Jasper Pittard and Aloise Witkowski.